0: Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to this episode of Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast series. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with Jack Berg, General Sales Manager of Bodensteiner Implement, a 10-store John Deere dealership in Iowa. If you're tuning in for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you're alerted when each upcoming episode is released. Before we turn things over to Casey and Jack, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who is making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their Iron Search and Iron Guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today.
1: Before we get started, I always like to get a little background on, on my guests and, and the uh, dealership they work with. So give me a little background on, on Jack Berg and, and Bodensteiner Implement.
2: Sure, be happy to. I'll always start off with Bodensteiner Implement. We're a 10 store uh, group up here in, in Northeast Iowa, based out of El Iowa. Cover the, the Northeastern corner of the state up here, get into a little bit of Southeast Minnesota and Southwest Wisconsin, but all of our locations are are here on the Iowa side. We're a group that was uh, founded by a guy named Bob Bodensteiner. Um, Bob has kind of a cool history. He worked for the case back in the late 60s, early 70s. And we're talking white cases here, you know, the original case, not Case IH. And uh, ran some company stores for them and and had the opportunity to come into the deer world in uh, Fort Atkinson, Iowa in the mid 70s and over the last However, many years has built a really nice organization here in uh, the northeastern corner of the state. So we got a real nice mix of, I'd, I'd call it a diverse area that we run up here in our southern and, and western side of our territory. I call it the flat black Iowa country where big row crop and, you know, just straight lines and away you go. Uh, you get up in the, the northern part of our geography or the the eastern part over by the Mississippi River gets to be a lot more rolling hills and get a lot more dairy and and cattle in that part of the that part of the countryside and and that kind of helps us from an equipment standpoint we get we get really all ends of the spectrum here from a tools on up to s680s and everything in between we're a forage harvester dealer kind of have a little different forage harvester mix compared to compared to some with that Geography that we run up here, we 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 work with a lot of smaller forage harvesters, guys doing their own for their own dairy operation or their own uh, uh, their own beef cattle operation. Um, at The end of the day, we're just just simple equipment people, Casey, just trying to scratch her out up here in northeast Iowa.
1: You do have a you have a pretty diverse mix. I mean, it seems like uh, the more I learn about Iowa, it's more than just row crop and and uh, corn and soybeans. There's a there's a big mix of of cattle dairy and, and, you know, hog producers and those kind of things up there. So there is a little more diversification up there than what people think.
2: Yeah. I always, I always tell people we're the, we're the Wisconsin counties of Iowa where it's uh, you kind of forget about this, this part of the geography over here, but beautiful country and tremendous soils, even though it's up in the hills. And uh, yeah, just, just a lot of, a lot of good old production goes on up here. It's uh, it's a cool
1: place to be. Yep. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, you've got a little bit, bit of a winding background, but i uh, been in ag my, my whole career. I um, actually grew up in uh, southeast North Dakota. I grew up in an ag background up there and, and worked for deer after I got out of school. Um, so I'm, I'm one of those former deer guys, I guess. But uh, got to do some really cool things with deer and, and work a lot in the product sports side and then later on in the, in the sales and marketing side spent a lot of time, uh, in, in different field roles there. And, and then with some, uh, with some factories as well, uh, married a girl from Illinois, uh, who was from a farm down there. So got to spend a lot of time down there and, and, uh, learn a lot about central Illinois farming, which in a way isn't radically different from, uh, the south, uh, the Southern and Western parts here in Northeast Iowa. But, uh, got to learn a lot about that, uh, about, uh, not quite five years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to join, uh, uh, join Bowden Center Implement up here and, and take on the role of general sales manager. And that's uh, that's probably about it.
1: So. Okay. So now let's jump into what your local market looks like. So right now, I mean, when I was at Prairie Land, both and now I'm out here at 21st, it seems like auctions in general have uh, really kind of made it themselves to be a, a staple part of, uh, of this business now. It feels like uh, some of the a lot of the auction activity is kind of turned into retail activity and, and how we as dealers adjust to that going forward. So when you look at the auction market now, especially what you see happening in your local market, are you seeing a lot of on farm auction retirement type sales? Or do you see like, you know, the bigger, big iron, Richie Brothers, stuff like that really paying a playing a bigger effect in that market?
2: You know, we're in a we're in a part of the country where we really see both, but probably the bigger effect is is the on farm auction and I, as I listen to some of your podcasts, I'm kind of jealous of some of the folks that say, "No, that's not really a factor in our part of the world." But unfortunately, here in Iowa, and I think a lot of the uh, for, it's going to be the same for a lot of the Midwest. You have a lot of folks, Casey, that are getting up there and getting up there in age, and and uh, really came into some good times here uh, earlier in uh, you know 2009 through 2013, even 14, and. And really, kind of hung on there and, and did really good for themselves. But now they're getting to the point of retirement, and we're just we're seeing more and more farm auctions all the time. And it's it, it's just one of those things that you got to deal with. It's the ebbs and flows of the business. It it uh, it, it kind of stings from two different angles. Sometimes you, of course, you lose your customer, and we're in kind of a unique business where they're, they're not making more farmers. It seems like. That always has a profound effect on just you know the sheer number of customers you work with, of course, right? Right. And then in, on the farm sales, and unfortunately, a you lose the customer, but b you you have in a lot of cases some really nice equipment that that uh, we or you know one of our neighboring dealers sold, took good care of, and uh, in a lot of cases it does displace a retail sale, either on the on the new or the used side. So, and it's just it's just part of life. We we roll with it and do it can. Yeah.
1: What do you see happening with the auction market right now, kind of going through the end of the year? Do you see maybe the typical October through uh, December kind of push like we normally see? Or do you, do you see maybe some of that laying off and, and uh, with the lack of late and low hour equipment out there, do you think maybe there might be a, a bigger push on the retail off the, off the lot type sale?
2: Well, I'd hope for the latter. Um, it, I think a lot of it depends on exactly where you're at here. Uh, we've, got, we've got a tremendous crop up here in our part of the state, and that, I think that could play an effect on some of the values that you see on the on-farm auctions, as, as hopefully as well as some of the demand that we'll end up seeing through fall here on, on the retail side of the business as well. But when we have good equipment on those sales, it's, it's always interesting to see the premiums that, that they can bring. And that I'd expect to continue to see that for for the fall here in in our part of the country.
1: You can always tell, like especially the estate sale, retirement sale stuff like that. The guy who has that, you know, might have bought that machine in in fifteen or something like that. The last one he's going to buy now, he's he's got three years out of it, and he's he's dumping it off at the at his local at his retirement sale stuff like that. It is it is amazing how much stuff that how much more of a premium that'll bring than. And I even see sometimes on the on the actual retail lots, you know, across the country. Yeah.
2: And, and you know, I'd take that a step further. A lot of stuff we see here in, in our part of the country isn't even necessarily stuff that was purchased new in say, 2014 or 15. A lot of that stuff will end up being five or six years old, but just have a ridiculously low amount of hours on it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's I, I see the same thing happening, too. Now, let's take a list. Let's look at uh, kind of going up through the end of the year here. What do you see some short-term struggles and opportunities related to the auction market as well as just as an overall as your business? What do you see some of your struggles and opportunities to be?
2: Well, I tell you what, I'm I'm optimistic on on some fall activity here. But like I was saying earlier, in, in our part of the world, we've got, got a really good corn crop and a pretty decent soybean crop coming on out here, and, and I think that'll – that'll always create some optimism for guys and it, it may take a little bit it may take until they actually get into the field and and see what they've actually got out there but that that's a real positive that I think we're going to see in in our business here before the end of the year there's just a, a demand that that occurs once once guys really it really hits home that that crop is out there that that'll I think that'll that'll play in in well uh negatives, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, you never, you never get ceased to amaze or it never ceases to amaze me how a a couple of cent move in the market will put people in a bad mood, you know, just in a, you know, in an ultra conservative mood in a, in a mood where you just, you got to remind them that we can't let a couple of days slide in the market impact a a long-term business or buying decision. Right. So, you know, I think with, with commodity prices where they're at yet you're, you we have that cloud hanging over us but in a lot of cases back to the positive side bushels can offset some of that and, and I think that's that's what we're looking at up here in our part of the world for the rest of the year
1: yeah I, mean, I think you have to look at it like that you know when when I look at stuff commodity prices right now are you know I just got my my email text for the day of, of what commodity prices are doing and, and I'm looking at it here It looks like September corn on the board right now is at 352 up a dollar and a half and December corn is three sixty five, up a dollar and a half as well. You know, soybeans are still kind of bouncing around that that nine thirty mark, kind of back and forth. Uh, today they're up pretty big, but you know, this is like any other business where it's about volume. You know, and and the more volume that you have, the better guys feel. And you and I both know that that a lot of buying decisions are, are driven off of, of the bushels, not necessarily the, the the revenue that they made off the bushels. Yeah, and so i think with in our neck of the woods where i'm at out here it feels like um there's gonna be a fairly decent corn crop there's gonna be some some good some good beans there's gonna be some good sugar beets you know so i mean i think there's gonna be some some positives there but again it's volume driven you know and, and the guys that have the volume are gonna be the ones that have some revenue that can go out and do some stuff at the end of the year and <laughs> i'm a lot like you i feel like there's gonna be some optimism there i don't feel like it's gonna be you know through the roof by any means um I feel like we're going to be flat to slightly up from what we were last year. Um, and, you know, our, our balance sheet reflecting that, you know, we're not, we don't have the same uh, revenues that we've had over the last, over last year, but our margins are up, you know, so it shows yeah. that we're getting, we're getting more for what we're selling, but we're not selling as much of it. So I think we're probably up two or 3% than what we were last year as far as margin goes. So I'm pretty positive. I think there's a lot of good things that are going to happen.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would share in that, and I I really hope when I look at the business that 2016 and in, in a lot of ways might have been the bottom end. I can I can see we're gonna be we're gonna be finishing ahead of where we were in in 2016, and I mean that that's a positive. Hopefully, we can keep that trend moving as we as we get on into 18 and beyond. Um, you know, you kind of talked about what do you see at the end of the year here. I'll, I'll throw something out there that has been a trend in, in our part of the world for the last couple of years and and it's back to the auction market. We've seen we've seen that delay in purchase from our customer base, you know, especially on the used side where they know they have a need, Casey. They know they're going to need to upgrade a combine, add a tractor, you know, you name it, but we're going to wait to make that decision just in case a heck of a deal comes along. In the meantime, you know, in case there's a in case there's a, a a wonderful deal on Sullivan's auction or Ritchie Brothers, or you know, even we've got a, a dealer up in Minnesota having a big uh, uh, a big inventory reduction sale here at the month. And you can see some buying decisions that are drug out longer than they really should be based on what deal might happen yet, right? What what good deal might be there. Now, the positive is this used inventory continues to dwindle. Um, or get reduced anyway, reduce itself, you know, you're back to the simple supply and demand economic system, right? And if we can get, we can get that supply down, I think some of that behavior starts to go away and we get back into the retail channel in a little more conventional way, if you will.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely agree with what you're saying. There's, There's that whole supply and demand issue right now, you know, like you said, going through '16 was was a rough year for a lot of folks. Even '15, because there was so much correction happening then. You know, that was when the slide was happening. The guys were dumping their inventory on the auctions, doing all these different things uh, to get their inventory right, to get their balance sheets into check. You know what I mean? And and here we are now, where the '15, '16, '17 model years, uh, production years have been significantly less than everything else, and and you're starting to run into that that gap between the 12 13 14 and the 15 and the 16 that there is there's a bit of a premium built into there because you don't want mine you're gonna have a hard time finding another one out there you seen the same thing oh I, I totally agree and, and it's a it's back to what we say it's pure supply and demand if, if you look
2: at you look at say the combine business you, we had the the whole industry had a peak of volume back in that 2012 2013 timeframe. And, and you look at just for a long time to come, there's going to be a, a, a large number of those machines in the marketplace and, and available to trade in, and so on and so forth. And you just look at what's going into the pipe in, in the years of 15 and 16 from a new standpoint. And when that comes out the other end of the pipe, it's not near as many in volume. So,
1: therefore, there's going to be a difference in value there. Yeah. So, when you look at the number of 16, 17 stuff that's out there, that's being, that's being, sold you know been sold new and what have you there's not enough um because of those bottle year production, there's not enough um to offset the amount of twelves, 13s and 14s you're going to be trading in on that so i feel like that 12 13 14 model uh model year stuff is just always going to be an arbitrage around our neck for a long time until we get enough distance away from theirs that we can say that yeah there are enough kind of to, to trade into those those machines until that happens that that model of your segment is always going to be a trouble, troubleness, a trouble uh, area for us as dealers.
2: Yeah, it, it, there's no question it's going to be there, and, and the bigger reason it's there is due to the volume, right? right. It, it comes back to there was just a, a peak in the market at that point, and and there's a glut of those machines either in producers' hands or or in in the in the supply chain. So it, it's definitely going to be there. I think it's going to be a challenge for all of us and a challenge we're going to have to take on to, to find a way to. To find a way to move through those machines and, and get out there and, and, and get that older crop of, of machines, you know, traded in those '60s and '70s and even '50s, where we can get guys in those early S series and, and use that as an opportunity instead of a instead of an anchor. But back to the supply side of it, when you when you put your hand over the end of the pipe and you don't have near as many, or whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, when you don't pour as many in the funnel, blah blah blah, on the on the new side i.e. the model year 15s, 16s, and 17s, in the end that should drive some demand for those machines because you will have those guys with the 12s and the 13s and we see it and and it's seen all over the country where they want to step up. They have a thousand step hours on their combine and and they want to get back to a two or 300 hour combine or or more so they want to get back in warranty, right? Right. So they're going to be in search of that one or two or in some cases three-year-old machine and 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 peak the demand, and it's just lack of supply is going to
1: going to hopefully drive some values there. Yeah, I will say the one thing I feel like dry helping us as dealers is that some of the the age of the equipment and the amount of um, inventory that's there, uh, as far as hours go, uh, of of customer inventory. So hopefully, knock on wood, there's going to be some uh, just some just some pure market driven factors that come from that because producers are gonna have that that saddle with that decision of do I make a payment and a big reconditioning uh, bill or do I just you know I just trade it off and just and just do how my payments roll from there. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And the good thing about combines planners, you're gonna take life out of them when you when you go to the field with them. And that's not a piece you're gonna to get to hold forever or, or you're gonna be faced with some significant maintenance bills, like you said. So that yeah. there's gonna be some underlying factors there that that drive demand.
1: Yeah. Guys watching cash flow as the they have been watching it, it's gonna be the recon the recon thing's gonna be a bigger deal than than what people are, I think, are are putting into that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I think our our shops
2: see that too. You know, we we talk about when when the downturn came, you know, well, people are trading less, that means they're gonna be repairing more. Well, yes and no. Not immediately, right? It, it's not like you got to bring the machine in and overhaul it just because you didn't trade it this year. Right. But as that as that continues on down, and and now you get into, you know, several years into the from the peak rather, I don't you know, call it the downturn, or just you get several years away from the peak. Now you do start to see that pickup in in service work and and more demand to to do reconditioning on an annual basis than you did before, and and that's a positive for the business as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, park and service business is such an important part of, of the dealership. I mean, the uh, the revenue gets generated from that, and you know, is so important. That's and also that's why you know, machine population is such an important thing too. I mean, you you have to be conscious about the number of new machines you are selling, just because of, of future machine populations and future park and service businesses out there. Oh, I, I totally agree. In in a lot
2: of ways, that's really what you are driving there in the whole goods department. It's it's, it's all about keeping that countryside populated with machines. So you have something to, to live off of in the parks and service world as you get down the road, no question. Yep.
1: So as you look across your landscape now, how many of the producers that you see having farm sales out there now are guys that probably said five or six years ago they were done, but they rode the wave and now they're jumping out. And, and how many of them do you feel like are, um, maybe forced to, to do something they're not wanting to do
2: the vast majority of it is is the guys at retirement age yeah. it, it's it's people that <clears throat> maybe would have had that opportunity to retire or, or in their timeline would have been a few years ago but the market was good times were rolling well and and they they stayed in it a little bit longer um, that that's the majority of it I think you know anybody that anybody that's in this business you, you kind of you, you hear the negative stories sometimes about the guy that maybe got forced out or was in a, in a position where he didn't have a lot of choices and he had to get out. I think you're always going to have that Casey. And and yeah. sometimes that gets over amplified. And I think it's, you know, as a general sales manager and I think as, as anybody that's, that has to do with ag sales, you got to always remind your guys that that's going to happen. There's going to be a segment of people that are on that, that part of the curve, if you will, all the time. And that, you, you can't read too much into that and you gotta, you gotta be cognizant of your entire market and really know what you got going on. Cause we've got producers on both ends of that spectrum and, and almost everybody does. And it's
1: just an important thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had, we had as many guys when it was, I don't want to say as many, but we had, we had a handful of guys when times were, were awesome that could barely keep, keep the rope tied together, you know? And you bet. You know, so it's like you said, it's, it is both of the spectrum and and you do have to take uh, each each thing you hear with a grain of salt.
0: We'll get back to Casey and Jack in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible, Iron Solutions. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Casey and Jack started their conversation talking about the end of the year activity in the auction market and how they foresee the year closing out compared to 2016 and how behaviors and attitudes have changed. They also dug into how parts and service business all play into the used equipment landscape. Let's get back to the program now and hear more about how leasing is affecting Bodensteiner's business and whether or not more customers are looking for leasing options. Jack says when proposing leasing options, you need to discuss the short-term and long-term plans for the customer. They also jump into the results they saw from early order programs this year.
1: All right, so leasing equipment is a hot topic no matter who I have the conversation with. How has leasing affected your business, and do you have more customers now looking at leases than you've had in the past?
2: Yeah, it it's a, it's definitely a part of it. I mean, it it's a tool, right? right. And I think it's it's something that you got to you got to have in your toolbox. Um it, we jumped on the on the leasing wagon I think pretty early here at at our dealership and really focused on some tractor leases and and getting guys into Into the room and having a conversation around cash flow, and you know what are where you at in your operation. What are your short term needs? You know what what can what can we do to address those needs without having to break the bank? And and that's where leasing really caught on fire for us. Um, It was a good way to move through some equipment as well, and and so sprayers. It's proven to be a good tool for us as well, and it's it's just one of those things that you got to constantly remember that. Cash flow is king, in, in today's world, and, and we got to be able to, we got to be able to speak that language, and, and really, you know, get get on the same side of the desk as our customers, and, and figure out where their needs are, and and then be creative in coming up with solutions to be able to to be able to get
1: there. Yeah, and that's that's where we're at too. I mean, I, I take I think leasing is a very important part of, of the business right now, especially because I. I Two things I preach the most are cash flow, talking bill, talk cash flow with your customer and, and risk management. And you know, I think lease is that one thing out there that does help control cash flow and it does there is some risk management there because of you're alleviating a, a lot of different things from going downhill. I mean, you take twenty or thirty thousand dollars worth of cash every year back into their business, that's a lot of things they can do and I think a lease offers that. It also gives them a lot of options. I always use the hedge your equipment thing. Um the way you hedge your crop, and I really think that there's uh, there's a lot of benefits to a lease, and and I think that there's uh, I, I think lease is kind of here to stay. I think leasing is going to be a bigger and bigger part of the business, even as times do get better. They're going to start looking at, um, you know, how how are they going to manage their cash flow, even with with times are good, and there'll be some things they do for taxes and things they don't do for taxes and those kind of things, but. I think leasing is going to be a bigger part of the of the business moving forward. I agree with you. It's going to have a, a bigger
2: place than it did, you know, five or eight years ago. No question. It, it's just it, it's one of those things that, dependent upon the customer's situation, it might be the the right angle. And and it's really it's a it's a mixture. We're seeing guys lease today that that never would have even considered leasing in the past, and. It's all about how does it fit into their business plan and short-term needs, long-term, long-term needs, and and uh, like you say, if you put a lease together right, um, there can be a lot of upside on the customers'
1: yeah. uh, side of the table. There, yep. And That's uh, the guess the options, and I think that's what they're all looking for right now is options. And there's if you do a, a traditional uh, note and a retail note like like we normally have done over the past four or five years. Not to say they don't have any options, but they're they're kind of limited what they can and can't do in a time frame. They could always sell the machine and walk away from it, and it's always that's always a fair option. But but leasing, yeah, you have a certain amount of time that you're locked in there, but you know what to, you know where you're going to be at at the end of that, and that gives you a lot of a lot of ability to make some plans moving forward before that time gets there. Well, it, especially for the guys that have a good handle on
2: their expenses and, and really understand their cost per hour and their cost per acre, you know, yeah. you can you can make some serious inroads with with that type of customer with yep. a beast scenario.
1: Yep, yep. So I think I just think it's going to be here for a while, and I don't see it going anyplace. Especially, I think as as uh, as these operations get bigger and bigger, and and they start looking at a, a cash what they're going to be doing with their cash and what their cash flow looks like. I still think leasing is going to play a bigger part. Might not be all of it, but it's going to be a portion of it that they're going to do that with. I agree. Okay. All right. So let's roll into some stuff here. We've got uh, some equipment here. So just got done with the first phase of the planner EOP. We're still got phases two two and three to go through yet. But um, I felt like planners for us, or for, for me anyway, was was the one thing that I felt was the biggest differentiator out there that, that we could go talk to a customer about because of, of the, the technology on the, on the newer planners now compared to what they'd been. Um, basically it's, you know, variable, variable rate planning on steroids. I mean, it's just amazing what you can do with these new planners. So we sold a few more planners than then I probably anticipated that we would. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I felt like we maybe didn't sell as many as we should have. Um, What's your feel about the planner market and, and the direction you guys went?
2: I'd echo those comments. It, it's, you know, you, you first of all, if you step back and you look at what do we have to sell, and if you're an equipment guy, you can't help but to be excited about what we have from a product standpoint, right? Right. I mean, what exact emerge planners can do, are, is first of all, is amazing. Put hydraulic down pressure on top of it, and, and some of the advanced monitoring and different things that we can do. It is absolutely astonishing the the product that we have to take to the marketplace, and and the cool part is we we can sit down with a pencil and paper and and show a guy where upgrading to this planner, you know it makes some sense. It, it has the real ability to to put bushels in the bin at the end of the year. Um, so I, I know in our organization we we Dove into that head first and, and uh, we've, been, we've been big promoters of, um, of the higher end planner technology for quite some time, um, really ever since it came out back in 15. And, and uh, we, we've had some good success over the years there with the high end technology on planners. Um, this COP, we did okay. Um, probably not quite as, I, I'd echo what you said. I, I had a little higher aspirations I'd I'd put it back to maybe just a little bit of somberness in the marketplace. Just guys not, not necessarily going off and buying something else. Just, just holding the cards to the chest a little bit and not, not really doing anything, not arguing with you or disagreeing with you. Or when you you take them out and show them the kind of job that the planner would do, or even able to demo with them, they absolutely love what they've seen. It's just,
1: wasn't quite the year to make massive strides. It seemed like there. Yeah. It seemed like the, uh, my my motivation behind the deal was there just weren't that many use mark or use spray or yeah use planters out there on the marketplace so I was trying to generate my own use supply for to go out yep. and sell against you know yep. uh, that being said he, you looked at some of the the, the the pricing of of what you were bringing in on trade compared to what the new one cost. there were some big gaps to fill and um that that was our probably I think it might have been a little bit little positive thinking on my end thing that we could get around that. But um, but overall we, we did good and I, I was, I was, I was pretty satisfied with how we turned out. Yeah. And, and, you know, back on the use side there, I was pleasantly
2: surprised to see the kind of demand that we did see there. And, and honestly, some of the planners that, that were out there that that were getting traded for, you look at their lack of technology and you really question, question the values of those machines. But I I believe it turned back into a supply and demand game to your point that even though they weren't the they weren't the hottest planner around, as far as the technology standpoint goes, there's still there's some demand there uh, due to the due to the bubble of excess supply finally going away in the planner world that that held the values up on some of those new planners that that maybe weren't the best thing around. But they were still a CCS, they were still a 24 row and they still. You know, they achieved what that next guy wanted to do. And you know, another thing that that I think is out there helping that, there's some of the retrofit kits that, that guys have available to them now, Casey. So you can take some of that older stuff that maybe doesn't have that technology level on it that you want and, and you can you can kinda a la carte yourself and bring it up to bring it up to whatever level you want to
1: and you can do some of that over time, right? Right. Yep. No, I think I think you're right, there I mean we had we had such a gap in the in the amount of, of new ones that we had sold um, that we got to where we we're getting a lot of acres on these planters, you know, and and a lot of guys were, were really kind of uncomfortable with the fact that the number of acres they had on their planter. Um, traditionally, they you know they were every couple of years getting rid of their of their uh, of their planter, and some of these guys had ran them for for you know four or five years, and and they were just kind of at a point. I think they were just getting a little nervous. So if we yeah. had, if we had something that was a, a later model planner, we, we had a lot of people looking at it. Um, but same, same section was that same guy that we we're trying to sell that late model planner to. We we're also trying to sell him a new one as well. So, I mean, that was, there was a bit of a dichotomy there and in, in how we looked at a planner. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The,
2: the thing that, uh, the thing that I think we all go, always got to keep in mind, all of us as a collective, uh, collected group of equipment folks is in the planner world is the obsolescence factor that's that's a dirty word in our industry but it's a trap that I think we could all fall into as well in the in the planner business pretty easily because it's you may run into some planners that aren't aren't really all that old or don't have all that many acres on them but times have changed and the technology levels changed and some things can't be updated and it can really catch you in a trap there too. So it's you got to be dancing on both feet, I think, in the planner market. To sum it up,
1: I mean, yeah, just look at how much. I mean, uh, the Exact came out in '15, right? Yep. So here we are coming into a, to the, the third season of of selling Exact Merge planners and look how much that's changed in just those those two or three years there. So it's it's uh, technology, especially on planners, is one of those things that helps you sell that machine. Definitely. Okay, so let's jump into sprayers now. So, um, seems like for us, we look at used sprayers, and it's that anything that's got that thousand to fifteen hundred hours on it, and you know, in that that two hundred two hundred thirty thousand dollars range, we have a home for it. Um, I think I might have cooled off here a little bit because you know, of course, we're kind of getting past that that time frame, you know. Um, But you know, through the spring and coming into to early summer. Those machines were were sought after, and we were writing a lot of leases on them. Um, you guys seen the same thing out your way? Yeah there there's a good
2: uh, there's a good farmer market for sprayers out there across the country. And in, in my opinion, there's uh, you know there's another place, not a lot, unlike planners, where you can you can put a pencil and paper to the the ownership of a sprayer or, or even the upgrade of a sprayer and, and really justify to the producer and to yourself why that that's a deal that makes sense. And, and, uh, and we're seeing that and there's some nice upgrades in these later model R series that, that guys that maybe had 20 or 30 series are, are wanting and, and, and needing if it's, you know, the technology in the machine itself, or if it's going to a 120 foot boom or, or what have you, but there's, there's good demand on, on that part of the business.
1: What do you see, um, compared from this year to last year, as far as demand goes for used sprayers, it felt like to me we were had a little bit of a struggle last year. This time of year, keep looking at sprayers and how we were going to move forward with them, and kind of after the first year, kind of going through spring and stuff, it really kind of took off. What What do you see as comparison from this year to last year?
2: Well, we were kind of we were kind of caught without many sprayers around a year ago. So I don't know if I'm the best guy to to answer that question, but we did see we did see some good demand um earlier this year as of course as you would as, as you get into season um guys wanting calling and asking for sprayers looking for sprayers and and us uh we were maybe a little too light if you will on on that side of it but uh i'm optimistic looking forward there i think the in in iowa here the the deer and haggy piece coming together is is a is a real positive, um, there's, uh, you know, we were talking about just machines out in the marketplace before, and you know the ability to do parts and service work on those machines, and, and having Haggies out there, and having the Deer Network able to support them. Um, I know that's not big all across the country, but in Iowa, where we're at, it, it's huge. Um, with that that allows us to have a lot more relationships with a lot more producers uh, than we did even a couple of years ago in the sprayer business. So it, uh, I, I'm looking for, I'm looking for a lot of positives as we we go forward in, in that part of the business.
1: Yeah. The the Hagee thing is, is something I'm really excited about too, because that is like you said, it's, it's, that's one more market niche that that we get a kind of get a foothold in there. I mean, we've got customers now that we could never even talk to about stuff. Like you said, that we can go talk to now and have a, have a a greater portfolio. We're a CAD dealer out here. So that, that really helps us. We start talking to some of this, uh, to the the co-ops and ASPs that we deal with. Um, Being out here in in more corn country than I'm in now, um, that Hagee is going to be a bigger and bigger part of our business.
2: Yeah, it's something that it's not for everybody. And and I think you just got to understand where it fits. But it definitely has a fit. And it it brings us, like you said, opportunities that didn't exist a couple of years ago and we just had the green machines to sell. So,
1: yeah, I think there's going to be – it's going to be good. I'm excited about that one. I'm I'm a little – Little curious to see how the used market's going to play out on those Haggies when they start trickling back into us here, but uh, <laughs> you know it's it's going to be a going to be a fun ride nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. All right. So now I start to take a look at uh, at row crop tractors. So I know you guys, being where you're at, row crop tractors are a big part of your business. Um, when you start looking at, you know the the higher horsepower 8R and those kind of things, how do you see that kind of working into your into your into the years? Structure and how's that? How's that used demand look for you guys?
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely a big part of the business uh, for any dealer in Iowa, large row crop tractors that is, and it's uh, you know it's taken it's taken on a little bit of a different life the last couple of years as well. The you know your industry numbers have obviously come down um, in that segment. We uh, we continue to see good demand, Casey for. This isn't any different than anybody else. I suspect good demand for that $150,000 and and less, um, tractor that you can get. If you can get yourself traded down and, and, and that far into it, um, that's where the buyers really start to appear. Uh, it's always a challenge on those, uh, lower hour, newer machines. We're constantly having to, to do everything we can to, to work those through the pipe. Um, we're seeing something kind of unique here, and, and it may not be as unique as I think. But in uh, in our part of the state, we're seeing a larger and larger percentage of large row crop tractors um, as the industry is contracted being a part of the uh, manure business, commercial manure application, mm. uh, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon dealing with dealing with those because you know a lot like commercial sprayers, if you will, you know the crops have to get sprayed regardless of the price on them. Right. And the manure has to get hauled regardless of, regardless of anything. So those tractors are going to get sold every year and and we're seeing them become a larger and larger percent of our own sales as well as the industry um, year in, year out. So that's kind of an interesting
1: thing. Yeah. Manure spreading is one of those things that I've kind of seen kind of creep in area, especially where there's a, you know, there's bigger feedlots or dairy operations, something like that. Um, that they that we've seen that. I'm looking for that to become a bigger deal where I'm at now, um, and, and how that's going to play out. So, I'm a. That is a good segment to keep keep my eye on. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. What hour machines are you looking at right now? That, that you would say have the highest demand right now? It seems like when I'm looking at them, we have it's it's kind of a, a hodgepodge range of, of stuff. I feel like that 2,500 hour tractor is what what's getting a lot of play back to your point of under 150,000 uh, bucks. Yep. And that's, that would be around a $100, $125,000 something. Um, that's where I feel like I had the most play at, but I also find that to be the hardest tractor to trade for. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're definitely the
2: ones that are, that are sought after. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with just what you said. That's a very, very functional tractor yet. And, and it's down in the money. Yeah. And and that's I think that's really the the long and the short of it right there. Yeah, that's where the
1: demand is. Yep. Yeah, that's the. Uh, uh, I sometimes feel like if I had ten of those, I would in my lot, I'd sell them all by the end of the day. But <laughs> I can't. I can't hardly trade for them because the guy that has them usually either has a pretty good equity position or he's got it paid for. And right. He's just not willing to let it go yet. I mean, he's, there's no need for him to let it go, and I get it. But sure be nice if he would. Yeah. Yep.
2: It's back to the business side of it. it. It's a lot easier to sit down with a guy and, and prove the reasons to trade for a planter right. or a sprayer, right? It's, right? it's a little more difficult when you're, you're looking at a, what am I really gaining here on this tractor? If it's a road, large row crop or a four wheel drive and you know, what am I gaining and what am I paying on a per hour basis? I mean, that that's more of a challenging conversation. There's, there's no two ways around it.
1: Yeah. So we got new combine coming out this year. When I say new, there's, just new technology, it feels like a um, lot more technology than there was. I don't know if they've really changed much as far as the nuts and bolts of the machine goes, but um, there is some bigger um, separating threshing areas and those kind of things, but uh, a little bit. But it feels like it's a ma- ma- technology is getting to be a thing. In previous podcasts, we talked about that. But it feels like, as dealers, the iron is almost becoming a, a secondary process kind of back to the planter and the sprayer conversation we had now. Combines are kind of starting to become the same way where technology is getting to be a bigger and bigger part of the buying decision, not so much the the nuts and bolts of the machine. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting with, with 700
2: series combines. Um, what'd your friend Aaron call them? The big box of wires and software or something like that? <laughs> Boxes, uh, switches, and wires switches and wires. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <they're>, uh, <laughs> I tell you, that guy cracks me up. Yeah, anyway, he's a hoop. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be interesting where that goes. Um, I, I visited with a customer yesterday at one of our stores who was, was pretty excited to see it, um, to see the 700 series combine. He, uh, he unlike a lot of people said well i've I've got my 75 year old dad in the in the seat of the combine and and uh you know it's just it's the easiest place to put that guy in the operation right we get him up in the combine he he stays there all day he's not having to run trucks or run the grain side or anything like that and the the negative part of that is 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 he always making those adjustments that that he needs to be making in order to optimize that machine so he was pretty excited about the advent of the the camera system and the technology in, in yeah. the 700 series machine. So I I don't know. I, I'll be interested to see how that translates across our entire customer base. Uh, we've got a lot of other guys that that's going to be a, a more of a, I'll believe it once I see it yep. mentality. And and there's no question that's going to that's gonna be a feature that we're going to have to show a lot of guys before they get Overly excited about it, yeah. you know, maybe a little pride factor there. I know how to run a combine, so on and so forth. But uh, it's not like we haven't been down the road of I'll, I'll see it when I or I'll believe it when I see it before. I mean, right. <laughs> remember yeah. the days of I can drive my own tractor, so right. maybe that advent here in the combine world too. I don't know.
1: Well, what I like about all technology is how much it's going to tie tie everyone back to the dealership. There's it's getting to be such a specialized machine and. And the amount of technology and amount of, of just overall software you got to have just to go diagnose what it is. Our parts is, well, service business anyway. Parts would be the same as well, I guess. But that's really that's really going to tie our customer back. And that's what's going to keep selling these machines down the road. It's, that's what's going to differentiate dealers from other dealers is their ability to go out and service these these high-tech machines.
2: Oh, I, I agree with you. I mean the what does a combine tech really go out and do these days? And it's yeah. it's a lot different than it was a few years ago. So yep. there, there's a lot of a lot of tie back there. You get you get the right crew and, and the right knowledge built up. That's that's pretty powerful.
1: Yeah. It's uh it says a lot when you guy shows up and the first thing he does is jump in the cab and starts pushing the buttons to see what codes come up before he, yeah. before he even starts diagnosing any typical well, I've seen this before. I know what it is, type of thing. It's let me go check the codes first to make sure that I'm right. But it's uh, it's, God, they're almost they're almost computer engineers and more than they are an actual technician. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. No question. So I, I think now I actually had a here's a question I asked for you the other day. I was having a, we were at a uh, sales meeting and had one of our one of our older, really really seasoned uh, sales reps come and ask me. He's like, "How do you think this is gonna?" play out in the in the used market when this one comes back next year and my response to him was it really is going to hinge around your ability to sell how with the technology and and, and getting that customer buy in on the technology that's how it's going to affect the used marketplace and he didn't really know how to come back to that answer when i after i gave that to him but i really think that is i mean the first year adoption of it's going to be is going to play out the used department the used uh inventory and it's going to play out as far as what the next you know what 19 looks like as far as buying new ones go
2: yeah yeah I, I think he answered well it it's definitely gonna it's definitely gonna hinge around that that's gonna
1: help set the value on it yeah yep so it's all it's all there but so your next in your area are 680 combines kind of becoming the, the the preferred combine uh or 780 i guess now are they going to be more of, of the preferred combine that's there or you still have a lot of of class seven combines that you're looking at?
2: Well, it gets back to the diversity of our area. We've, we've got, uh, like I was saying before, your flat and black central Iowa type geography in our South and our West. And and there for darn sure, the the class eight combine is, is really, um, taking hold And, and guys are, a lot of guys are jumping right from class sixes on up to class eights. Um, you get over in the more of the Wisconsin type area of our, RaoR AOR and, and a class six combine is, is still uh, a very, very popular combine and, and quite frankly may be for, for a long time. So we have a mix here, Casey, but I definitely see, I definitely see the, uh, the advent of the class eight with a lot of, per- than, than we had even a few years back.
1: Yeah. So one last segment here and we'll, we'll jump off here, but when you look at, self-propelled forage harvesters because I'm, they're still a little near and dear to my heart, but um, it seems like that class the eight thousand series has come a long ways from what the eighty series was, and 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 their comp- the very their compatibility as far as you know how they compare up to a class and those different different machines. It feels like to me that they're they have gained a lot of traction with that eight thousand series chopper.
2: Oh, I I totally agree. They've been a they've been a, a real success for us. They're, they're just an animal. I mean, the way the crop flows through them, um, I, it, uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing to go out and put them in the field and put them up against an older machine or put them up against a Kloss or a New Holland. It, it's, it's really cool to see them hold their own and, and, and what they can, what they can do and how they can, how, how they're serviceable, how they can improve a guy's operation Challenge is that doesn't help us much on the on the seven thousand series market though right right so if you've got especially if you've got some late model seventy nine eighties or seventy seven eighties that uh, the other side of that coin is that that doesn't put them in the most positive
1: light right right yeah you you normally have a a take of the old series usually does take a little bit of a beating on the on the use side when the new series comes out Um, but man it feels like that the eighty series uh, chopper has really just taken a an unnecessary beating when it, when you look at the values that they that they are that they're bringing right now, especially the big ones. Yeah, um, it seems like uh, we've
2: seen we've seen smaller ones still have a, a little bit more of a demand, and and that I'd put that back to a, a lack of or hold their values up, if you will, a little better, and I'd, I'd put that back to a, a lack of supply of smaller machines. But the bigger machines, yeah, I mean it, it it's been a race for guys that have. 80 series to get to uh to get to an eight thousand series as as fast as possible and and that means uh that means lack of demand on these other ones unfortunately
1: yep so when you look at your from very high level when you're looking at your your evaluation process what are you doing different now than you were you know probably three years ago when when the slide kind of started
2: i'd say we're probably just more rigorous rather on uh on our process, um, just making sure we're, we're doing good, thorough evaluations, um, how we go about our recon process and, and just, just really tightening it up a little bit, if you will. Um, you know, having lower volumes always helps that it gives you a little more time to focus on, on each piece and, and making sure you're doing it right. But, um, I'd, I'd say it's just, it's been a good time to just tighten up the process and, and make sure that, that we're doing things the way that we've intended to do things and, and you know, put some tweaks in here and there are based on based on things we learned along
1: the way. Yeah. That's what we're doing, too. I mean, we're being more targeted with who we're going to go out and call on and, and really just being a lot more defined about what it is that we're going to do in, in the evaluation process. Help, you know, really being a more of a paying a lot more attention to recon costs. And, and our recon process and, and really trying to maximize our dollars there as much as we can.
2: Yeah, it, and, and you have to. I mean, yeah. it's it's, a, it's an evolving market. And, you, know, you talked a little bit about targeting, and, and that's that's something that we definitely do far more of than, than we did in the past, and that's just where am I going to go with the machine? What's my out on it? Uh, Who are the people I'm going to go talk to about it? especially when you're, you're looking at trading in the kind of dollars that we all have to trade in these days just to, to bring it in and hope for something good to happen. Uh, not necessarily a great plan, right?
1: No, no, the hope uh, in one hand and you know doing all that stuff won't, it just doesn't work anymore. Because you have to be predefined about what you're gonna be doing. Absolutely.
0: Thanks, Casey and Jack. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels, including an Ask the Expert feature on our website where you can ask him your questions directly. Check it out at farm-equipment.com backslash Expert. You can also catch extended podcasts from Casey on the Moving Iron podcast available on SoundCloud. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us next time when Casey sits down with Heritage Tractor and True North Equipment. For Casey, Jack, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.